Welcome to episode 52 of the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and usually my co-host, Oliver Jones. This episode is with James Uffendel, founder of Bright Network. James has the enviable quality of being a serial doer rather than a dabbler. Empowered by his own journey to Oxbridge, he has embarked upon a crusade to help the brightest graduates in this country get the jobs they deserve. Bright has over 500,000 members, 73% of whom were state-educated, and have partnered with over 250 leading employers, including the likes of Bloomberg, Clifford Chance, Dyson, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley, to give even the most disadvantaged people the career start they deserve. So without further ado, we bring you James Uffendell. Welcome back to Startup Microdose podcast. Um, it's been a while. We've had to weather some slightly strange existential conditions of late. Um, but I'm joined by James Uffendel today, who I've known for an awfully long time, actually. James has been nearly a decade, who is the founder of Bright Networks, amongst other things. Um, and you you do do a lot with your time. You are a true entrepreneur's entrepreneur in my books, who, who's been dabbling since day dot back at university. So can you take us back to your first foray into entrepreneurship? Because um, you, you got a pretty early start on it. I did. I think my first foreign entrepreneurship was actually um, trying to under, undercut the uh, sweet shop at school. So I used to go to um, the local cash and carry and and buy um, sweets in mass and then sell them at my locker. Um, and I used to kind of weigh them out like cola bottles and stuff. I used to weigh them out onto uh, scales in bags of 100, like some kind of drug dealer and sell them at my locker. But um, the enterprise got shut down because uh, the teacher told me apparently it was against school rules. But anyway, um, so, yeah, that was one of my first ventures. When I was about it's, a funny, it's a funny quirk of schooling, isn't it, that they discourage um, entrepreneurship. They don't try and mold you into something better. <laughs> I did something I did something remarkably similar. So we, we operated the snack machine in our boarding house and I'd go to Wilco or Wilkinson's and they'd have like a discount bucket and so I'd stack five shelves with the with the products that we had to buy in through um, our housemaster and then had a shelf where I put in my own produce and then and then would obviously calculate the difference and it was incredibly um, profitable from a from a, uh, a boarding school perspective but um, yeah I was also it was also short-lived <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, well, it sounds like you're an entrepreneur as well. And it was interesting, actually, I was, on, I was on Radio 4 yesterday talking about how we get students ready for the world of work. And and there's a massive disconnect because um, employers kind of rank commercial awareness super, super highly in terms of just understanding kind of about about kind of business. And, and students, that's that's the second um, biggest skill they want to learn. They want to learn about um, how the world of business works, actually after coding, which is the first thing, the number one thing they want to learn about. And yeah, I agree, it would be nice to... Um, get better in our schools at teaching this i think everybody knows it needs to be taught so so yeah so, so then my first um dab with entrepreneurship after that was at university um uh, i was in my second year i was like what am i going to do when i graduate and went into the career service and kind of walked straight out because it was very um career service has come a long way since then luckily um 20 years ago but it, it was very kind of lots of information and no real kind of guidance students at university who had parents from i guess like you know well-connected families or older brothers and sisters they almost had this network around them helping them with their, with their careers and i um, by default you know mum and dad have both left school at 16 neither have done A-levels, let alone, let alone gone to university. So I didn't have a network around me telling me kind of what to do with my career. So I thought, right, what am I going to do? And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to um, 
uh, launched a business, um, always been kind of like interested in kind of entrepreneurship and business. And I want to help students get into university. Um, so um, I, I got into a good university, so I was at Oxford. Um, my school didn't send many people to Oxford and Cambridge, but I kind of managed to get in. And I thought, right, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm surrounded by people at Oxford um, and obviously new people at Cambridge. And I was like, well, they've obviously done something right. Let's try and understand what happens and why these students get in and what are they doing to get in? Um, given, you know, most students obviously have kind of top academics. What is it that actually differentiates the ones that get in from the ones who don't? And also, how do you really help students from kind of low income, kind of socially mobile families? How do we help, help those really bright people get into Oxford and Cambridge? Because quite frankly, it was a bit of a kind of a, a bit of a myth back then. I mean, again, it's opened up a lot, which is fantastic to have seen and those universities have done a great job. So I uh, started my first business in my, in my student bedroom at, um, at Oxford and then uh, graduated and then it got very lucky. It just grew very quickly and we um, got to a point where we were advising tens of thousands of students um, kind of applying to those universities and then I built that up in my 20s and I then sold that to a, a private equity firm in, in 2013, which is when I then launched Bright Network. It's funny, isn't it, that that you took no time off between one and the other. I mean, not dissuaded by the, the you know, the story always sounds great when you compress it into a three-minute um, gambit, but I mean, um, a lot of work yeah. goes into into growing those alongside presumably sitting your your degree. Uh, and if I can imagine at that time, you know, even when I was at university in 2006, 2009, entrepreneurship was not really on the cards. I mean, there were some people who did some very entrepreneurial things and that they were kind of these mythical entities who sort of would bunk off university and be running something on the side and you'd be immeasurably jealous of, of, their, kind yeah. of um, their, their means of doing so. So how did you juggle the time um, and how was it sort of received by your sort of peers? Yeah, that, that, um, so how did I juggle my time? Yeah, doing finals at university and obviously Oxford has quite an intense system where you don't kind of basically have any coursework and then it's just all, you know, your whole your whole, your whole destiny is down to how you perform over, I think it was like eight exams over something like 10 days. Um, so yeah, and the run up to those, that was quite, quite intense, getting the business ready for when I left university and also kind of balancing the workload of finals. And I guess that just come, came down to kind of hopefully, you know, good, good kind of time management, prioritization and I kind of road as well. And there's lots, lots, lots going on um so balancing the sports side was uh, all those different parts um and and then in terms of my peers um, i think they're all a bit kind of like what, what, what on earth are you doing um because obviously they were kind of typically going off and getting kind of corporate jobs etc and um, and then actually fun enough, i did actually have a, a friend of mine who i told the the idea for frogs applications to and then he said he would do it with me and the idea was we're going to do it 50 50 and then i literally kind of like finished you finished exams and then he said to me actually you know I, I don't I don't want to do it anymore um, and uh, yeah he um, so then I took it on kind of 100% going, going forward um, I think he was I know he was a little bit frustrated when we sold it to the private equity firm but uh, yeah it was um, it was it was an interesting um, time and, and very demanding as well like also kind of in your 20s because you, you kind of you have lots of advantages or I think if, if you're young and you think you're starting a business now I'd really urge you to take the most of those advantages because you, you in a way you haven't failed you you've never really kind of got anything wrong so you have all this kind of like just energy you'll try things that you just you know as you get older you become a, sometimes a little more resistant with kind of new ideas which is something i have to check myself a lot with but yeah that idea of like it's a very powerful time and when you've got kind of you know disruptive innovative ideas to to basically just go for it and and that kind of fresh kind of mindset is, is so key i think do you think some of it was created out of i, I don't want to use the word naivety but as an optimism 
or, or you know, are you the same entrepreneur then that you are now to some degree? Great question. So definitely, yes, to your, your first point around was it created around optimism. Um, the great thing is when you are in your early career, you have no real kind of context. You're, you're finding about yourself, you know, what are you good at? What are you bad at? What do you enjoy? What you don't enjoy? And then how the hell you fit into this this big crazy world out there and and what it wants and what it doesn't work and what it values and what it won't value and that fits um arguably it kind of never ends but but when the only thing that's certain is when you're kind of you know in your beginning of your career in your 20s you are uh understanding that understanding those two things so if you're generally an optimistic mindset which i think i have um and entrepreneurs generally have to have i think because they're thinking about the future and how to do things how they're going to change things how things can be better then absolutely um, that that mindset is a very, very powerful thing. Now, obviously what happens is entrepreneurs go through their journey, you just become a far more seasoned, you've been around the block, you've seen situations again and again and again. And those situations go from everything in terms of kind of hiring people to um, investment decisions, to product decisions, to client decisions, marketing, sales. And it is really all the same kind of thing. So I think you get better and more experienced um, and, and uh, but then it's, it's making sure you keep that idea of innovation, coming up with new ideas and, and, and being willing to fail, which gets harder because obviously by definition, the older you get, the more you fail. Mm-hmm. And that's just the definition. I think it's like Lewis Hamilton. I think he says it's uh, um, uh, success is a horrific teacher because all success teachers do is you should keep doing the same things. Whereas when you fail, that is actually when, when you learn. Um, actually, there's a brilliant podcast, if any of you haven't come across it, called How to Fail by Elizabeth Day, which I'd really recommend, um, particularly this session with Alan de Butter, and that's an absolutely kind of wonderful session. But yeah, so, so in terms of, I guess, coming back to me I mean, and, and my entrepreneurship journey um, and how we've grown Bright Network from me in a little cupboard to now we've got about 70 employees, we've raised about 8 million venture capital and um, just, yeah, just hit half a million members on the platform. And I think, Ed, you might have actually been one of our very, very, very first members back absolutely. in the day. Absolutely. Um, absolutely uh, kind of roughly yeah. 10 years ago or so. Yeah, yeah. I think you, 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 you mind me. But, but one of our three values is growth mindset. Um, and and that idea that actually you have to keep innovating, have to keep pushing forward. Um, and you know, one of the big inspirations is, is is Jeff Bezos at Amazon, right? I know he's he's was um, executive chairman now, mm. but that whole thing about you know, it's always day one at Amazon, and it's amazing. The Amazonians say that they say to you, it's always day one at Amazon. They say it often in a, in a kind of a way that you know they they just they just it's how they think about the business and that kind of keeping innovation going. Because it's very easy. And if you think about economic models, I did economics university around um, kind of Schumpeter and um, creative destruction. The model is normally entrepreneur comes up with an idea, then basically checks out because they either sell the business or um, or uh, or somebody else comes up with a new product, they stay steep and stop innovating. And, and then essentially the business gets destroyed. That's where if you look about things, you know, I think the stats on the FTSE, it's something like only 10% of the FTSE companies um, from the 1980s are still in the FTSE. Like, you know, there is this constant process of capitalism going on. And I think the only way to really combat is, is to keep the idea of kind of constant innovation going. So all the, and, and it goes beyond you because, for example, with my team at the moment, um, as we get bigger, um, like I can't come up with every idea and every thought anymore, which is definitely definitely again a journey but so it's encouraging them to just try new things and then having a culture that when people do fail and things don't work out is saying look nobody set out to fail but it's really important we did this um so yeah keeping that going is so important well it's funny because the label entrepreneur assumes that you traverse all stages of 
of growth. Now, of course, you don't because when you're two people in a bedroom coming up with an idea and being incredibly creative and reactive, it's very different to the command and control structure that you, as a sort of high command of a 70-person-plus entity, become where you've got to have autonomous units and you've got to define boundaries for people to have roles within that. And actually, just to, to get the context for Bright Networks, um, how would you describe it or what was your initial mission and, and how did you articulate that to people just so we can give listeners um, some, some context? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and it's a tiny point. It's actually Bright Network with a singular and it's actually no problem at all because uh, you're not the first person to be often uh, no, it's, yeah, it's absolutely no problem at all. Um, and thanks for getting my surname right, the pronunciation, Ed. You did a great job with that. It's a, uh, it's an unusual <laughs> surname and I, I, it's very rare when people actually just smash it. So thank you for, uh, thanks for being so great on getting One the pronunciation not, right. Not um, no, 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 it's, it's absolutely fine. So, um, uh, yes, yeah, so, so originally with Bright Network, um, the vision was always, I guess, and it came through my my kind of own story to a certain extent. I think, I think people are capable of far more than they think that they are capable of. Um, and for me, when I was at school, I, I wasn't a kind of a massive, massive kind of academic kind of top performer. Um, I wasn't doing well academic until I got to 16 and a new teacher arrived and he basically, um, I got to drop the subjects I didn't like. And he was um, an incredible, inspiring guy. And he actually encouraged me to apply to Oxford in the first place. And I went from being very middle academically, like literally kind of 50% to kind of basically top, 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 top. And it was it was purely because of him and the impact he had on me and just my thinking. And then obviously you go to university and then, and then seeing again when I was kind of at, at university and seeing the students who had the kind of connections and the right kind of help and support running off and getting all the top jobs and me being a bit clueless. I mean, mum was a secretary, dad was a shepherd. So literally, you know, they were great, but no kind of real, um, didn't have that kind of network kind of guiding me around. And, I, and it kind of got me thinking like, um, when I was, and then I was building the business, helping students get um, applied to university and they were coming back to me saying, right, how do I get into the world of work? And it kind of all came together funnily enough. I went on um, holiday to Mallorca and I was on a sun lounger and I was just like lying there and my business was just firing, my, my brain was firing away thinking about um, kind of the opportunity. And I was like, well, there's all these really, all these people who go off to university and um, they're, they're, they're all based the same, you know, they're all kind of bright, intelligent human beings. But the reality is some of them have kind of better kind of connections and support than others. And, um, and actually, wouldn't it be great if you could essentially put them all in a community, get them helping each other and, and really support them? And, and it comes out through our research. So, for example, 68% of students at state school don't feel confident about getting a job at university, whereas it's, it's 58% at um, private, uh, private educated students. And again, if you go to a private school, you're going to, um, on average, earn £200,000 more by the time you're 41 in terms of those kind of working years than if you go to a state school. So there's so many issues around um, kind of social mobility, access to talent and firms are, well, you know, they obviously want the best talents. Uh, talent is the number one thing that um, CEOs and, 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 and leaders in business think about. So um, in, in a nutshell, it was the idea that we can use data and technology to take bright people and and basically help them fulfill their potential in terms of um, connections to the world of work and upskilling. And, and actually, um, somebody I, who I um, really love, um, who um, he's the CEO of um, kind of Virgin, a really great, great thinker, he, he was saying to me, he was saying like, what you're doing is you're, you're creating their career journey all the way through 
you're basically taking that individual and saying this is the right thing to do at the right time. So, for example, a big thing with students on campus is actually if you want to get a grad program, there's only probably about like six weeks or two months where you can actually apply for internships and grad grad schemes. Mm-hmm. Now, unless you, how are you going to know that? So we use their data in terms of what they're doing on the platform, um, the content, what they've told us they're interested in, and things like psychometrics to put the right messages in front of them at the right time. So say, for example, there might be a, a student who, you know, for, for a first generation to go to university, free school meals, ends up at, I don't, I don't know, University of, um, kind of Essex, and um, it comes on the platform, says they're interested in becoming a lawyer. Um, and then it's, it's saying to that person at that time, right, okay, this is what you need to do to become a lawyer. So you need to be now applying for first week programs at Magic Circle Firms because you're in your first year. And then you need to be applying for a vacation scheme. And then you need to be reading, reading, looking at this about how you're going to convert your vacation scheme into, into a training contract. So the way I think about it is the students who often excel in their careers and hats off, hats off to them, but they have a... Um, a network around them, you know, uncles, aunts, mums, dads, older brothers, et cetera, et cetera, kind of curating and feeding information to them saying, this is what you need to do next. So with Bright Network, we've got over 80 million data points on our over half a million students now. At any one time, there's an average 125 of them on the platform. It's about putting the right messages and the right things they need to do in front of them at the right times. So that that's that was the original vision, and it, it's incredibly satisfying to watch it watch it come together. Yes, I completely agree that um, it it needs some some shepherding because um, th- there's so many different variables, as you pointed out. Collecting 80 million data points off of a total half a million user base suggests that there is a lot of factors at play. But I also think that that what governs some people's um, career aspirations are. You know what's valued by the community around them, and as you say, if they grow up in a family which you know doesn't necessarily hold, understand what it's like to work for a Magic Circle law firm or, or the process to get there, or doesn't understand why you're trying to get there for any particular reason, you don't have as much sort of um, of that validation reflected back at you, or maybe some guidance, or maybe even you know some people it's an awful lot of pressure that's getting them to to work for those Magic Circle law firms because their parents and parents parents have have all been lawyers or doctors or accountants or or some other so there's so many different things that go into shaping a young person's first career move and and also i think what i'm starting to understand is that it's you're also expecting a 23 year old to know themselves and know what they want and then to be able to go into the marketplace of ideas and have their intelligence or capabilities valued i mean this is it's an age-old principle that you get uh, an extraordinarily bright academic or, or um, you know somebody who's got a PhD who ends up in a in a, what one would call a middling career just because ultimately they were extremely intelligent but they've not connected there's a sort of asymmetry between them and workplaces and, and as you highlighted up until where you were 16 you may have internalized the idea that you were an average student now it, it wasn't the case it's just that you hadn't been aligned correctly with something that inspired you and so that first career move seems incredibly powerful to people because you are unproven and your professional confidence is something I think people don't take into account you've got academic confidence you go I've got a 2-1 from a good university or I've got a first from a good university but then you can go into the workplace and, and have that confidence quickly eroded by being in the wrong role what kind of companies do you now bring to the table in terms of making people aware and giving them that choice and selection and diversity of opportunity Absolutely, and and I know obviously with your audience and the amazing audience you've built is um is around kind of you know the 
the entrepreneurship side of it um, and kind of, yeah, so maybe kind of moving on to that. The uh, On the one hand, obviously, we've got the half a million kind of students on the platform. And on the other side of the market, we've got um, over 250 of the world's leading employers. So we work with everybody from kind of Goldman Sachs to um, PwC, Google, Slaughter and May. Um, so, uh, yeah, Bloomberg, all, all these kind of top employers are, are on the platform and, and they find it a, um, an efficient way to get super bright diverse talent um and and often it can be a, it's a lot more efficient than the old um kind of milk round kind of methodologies and ability to identify identify the talent so and it's a great service because everything you everything we do for the bright network members and the students is completely free and it's the employers who who fund the whole um program so yeah it works really nicely and then also we, we kind of work with um, kind of early stage startups and um, we do have and actually make a big thing of trying to make sure we actually list kind of all opportunities on the platform. So the model is essentially we, we do aggregate um, jobs on the platform for the members, but then essentially the firms that want to pay more for more engagement. So if they, for example, might, might come to our kind of online events, we do so. Um, through COVID, we ran a big program called Internship Experience UK, which had over a million hours of online learning, about 100,000 um, applications on that. So basically, get, it's, it's an engagement model. Firms will basically pay more to get more engagement with our audience. Presumably, you're giving um, grads or members of your network a, a better chance to showcase themselves ahead of interviews or making themselves aware to companies via a process rather than just leaving it all to the interview um, section yeah absolutely so um, they, they what they really value from the network for the graduates is they get to kind of meet the employers kind of um, well obviously the last 18 months it's been virtual um, but before then face to face and hopefully getting back to face to face but they get to actually meet and get in front of the employers which is incredibly powerful and you think about the kind of power of that kind of network effect um, also we've got because over 15,000 of our members now have got have now kind of secured roles um, in terms of tracing through to kind of where they get hired. So using our alumni, that's a big thing if you think about having somebody believe in you at the employers. So then, and the alumni, we want to give back. We know that Gen Z is the generation that does want to give back. And they they feed back into the ecosystem in terms of advice, support, mentorship. So that's kind of really, really powerful as well. And the big thing is obviously upskilling. So um, if you think about, you know, graduate lands on campus, sorry, an undergraduate lands on campus age 18 and then suddenly kind of goes into the world of work, there's kind of three years there. So we have um, Bright Network Academy, which is an upskilling platform all about um, kind of leadership skills, networking, like getting that commercial awareness um, point around kind of getting students ready for the world of work is a big thing around kind of upskilling through that. And then also we've just launched something called Bright Network Technology Academy, which is super exciting, where we take recent graduates and um, we train them up. Um, in uh, in coding and software um, and engineering, and then we put them into our big kind of corporate partners as software engineers, oh, cool. um, and that's that that part of our business is also growing kind of really really quickly. So uh, yeah, it's all about increasing the uh, value for the students and, and getting them where we where we want to get them. And in, as a result, because it's kind of moved, you know, we, when I saw the model, it was essentially quite a spammy model in that you signed up for a graduate jobs board. They spam the hell out of you and then you would unsubscribe as quickly as possible um, because of personalization and we're genuinely investing in the long-term future of the students um, so typical email open rates on job boards are about kind of roughly about 15 percent whereas our email open rates are about kind of 50 percent plus because of personalization because we can say like hi ed you, you graduate as, you, as you're kind of graduating next year and you're interested in investment banking and um 
and, and you're looking for a kind of a graduate role, you might want to know that um, Deutsche Bank opens next week, kind of you know, click here to pre-register. So it's, it's that kind of hyper-personalization at scale, which, which, which drives the value for the, me- value for the members. Um, again, coming back to those kind of 80 million plus data points we have, um, that all flow into our data lake. It's all about the more we can understand our audience, the better we can personalize um, advice and support for them. So they win and then firms get better results because they're generating the right type of applications. So it's quite an interesting comparable because um, I know that the network effects of networks are sort of tidal um, in terms of it just it builds up this this value that's way more than the sum of its parts and adding an additional 100,000 users is, is considerable to the end outcomes 10 years down the line of, of how much um, value you can then reinforce back into the network and we have it with angel investment network and, and the network we build because the more entrepreneurs we get on there the more investors come in the more investors come in the more entrepreneurs go and seek investment and then before you know it it starts to just spread um and testament to the strength of your network is the fact that we we still are connected uh, well over 10 years later which has been been fantastic um mm. but what i'm interested to know and this is probably a slightly loaded question because it's, it's something we're trying to understand better is what do you think the role of the man in the middle is for you, for Bright Network, um, in terms of the human component versus the, the data you're building up in terms of, you know, do you become this sort of automated assistant that somebody has alongside them that continues to understand them? And is that baked into data or, or do you have a kind of continually iterating role of what the people in your organization will be doing to um, build those relationships and fertilize that network? And has that changed over time and will that continue to change over time? Yeah, and again, it's it's really impressive what you've done um, with your network as well. It's seriously impressive. So, um, yeah, it's interesting if you if you like kind of building networks and communities, which is something I've always kind of been interested in. I think, and then in coming back to the kind of journey of, of an entrepreneur. So, um, I saw a brilliant uh, slide once. It's like an entrepreneur's journey. You go from being a an entrepreneur and a you know literally like getting stuff going by yourself to begin with. And then you become a manager because you kind of bring bring people on, and then as things get bigger, you become you have to become a bit of a politician in terms of balancing everybody's kind of competing needs, and then finally you become like an academic where you basically just kind of bring ideas back into the um, into the organisation. So I think I'm probably in that second phase now where. Um, it, uh, in terms of my role, like I guess the CEO of Bright Network, it's it's genuinely about just getting the best people, getting the vision clear. Um, getting them unleashed and letting them do that, letting them do their best work. Um, so, you know, we've got an absolutely brilliant, um, well, everyone's business is absolutely fantastic. But um, in terms of just looking across it, you know, great tech team, great sales team, great delivery teams, and 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 it's letting them they actually kind of do the innovation, kind of come up come up with the ideas about how we can use use what we've got. Um, but but. And I'm there really now just to keep us focused and think about the vision and the growth and then also keep us focused on driving value for our amazing Bright Network members. So as long as we're giving them a good service, we'll be okay. And for our clients, I think all the time, like how can we how can we be, be driving more more value for um, for both sides of our market? And that that does seem to be working quite nicely and as i said we, we continue to grow so it, it is that you and you have to evolve your role actually one of the one of the best things I, I i did is and a big thanks to goldman sachs or one of our partners they run a brilliant program called um goldman sachs Ten Thousand program um, with um the side business school in oxford and it's a it's a four-month almost like mini mba that's structured around kind of scale up um 
entrepreneurs who want to take their business to the next level and it's roughly I don't know, maybe about 10 hours a week um, with a couple of residentials. And it's a really superb program about just getting you to kind of elevate your mindset and, and think, because we know it's not just as entrepreneurs, we all know it's not just about working more hours. Otherwise, everybody would just be working more hours. It's about yeah. it's about kind of decision making and, and it's so satisfying when you get great people and they go and do great work. And, and the great thing now with Bright Network, I mean, we're still a very young business. We're, we're about seven and a half years old. But we've got people who have been here kind of, you know, five years and it's just wonderful watching them just grow, develop and, and they change and evolve. But then the whole business has to be growing and developing so that everybody, and I include myself in that, gets to grow and develop so that we continue to feel kind of challenged. I completely agree with that. I mean, I've, I've stayed at AIN for 11 years, and it's because year on year it's continued to change. Maybe to kind of get you uh, with with a sort of more pseudo-political hat on or, or maybe... Um, Dangerous. Just, <laughs> what what do you think about the changes in the, the, the workplace? What um, employees may be looking for nowadays? Are the expectations of grads changing in relation to the work from home culture hybrid working culture do, do you have any views on how that's all starting to to shape itself whether it's at bright network or whether it's in the clients you're seeing and the roles that are kind of coming to to fruition yeah interesting um so i when you said get political um i thought that you're going to start asking me about i thought about boris johnson or keir starmer uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so, um, so, so yeah i mean we're obviously kind of pretty hot on this topic we do a research um report every year um we and this year we had about fifteen thousand people complete the survey with our members where we ask them everything about um you know how they feel about uh, getting jobs and confidence and connections and starting salaries and it was very very in-depth um report Reports. Um, specifically on um, remote working, so 40% of grads are feeling they would like to do a mix of both. So it kind of actually aligns, aligns kind of quite broadly with the general kind of population, actually. Um, about 32% say they would mainly kind of work in the office and about 22% um, uh, prefer to um, be actually sorry sorry it's 32 i think yes it's 32 percent actually would rather be um uh in the office with the option to work remote um and then 22 percent want to be in the office all the time only six percent want a fully remote role mm-hmm. so yeah i mean the nutshell is only six percent want to work fully remotely and there's a big learning deficit i think that's happened over the last 18 months because if you're fresh out your job and you know face-to-face learning is so powerful and we see it in, in our office here at bright network as well you know there's those interactions about how the seniors work and how they operate and how they think and just everything from how they interact with people to how they run a call in the office or like whatever they're doing and how they're structuring and going about things like that has been learned and developed so and they've they've learned that from kind of people um kind of older and more experienced than them so it's so important to kind of pass the baton on um and and the main benefit that graduates see is is the ability to obviously structure their their life around kind of remote work and kind of saving commutes it's pretty like the general population but i i would say on a more um qualitative level i think there is more of a thirst for them to be in the office environment because also you've got to remember for a lot of them it's new like they haven't been in you know they've graduated and haven't actually been in been in the office so i think it's actually pretty exciting and i think from uh, I'm not sure when the podcast is going out, but from September, I think there's going to be a big, almost like rush back to um, back to the office. And in terms of you know me building the business here, um, I mean this last week I've actually been in the office every day. Um, you know, been buying breakfast for the team every day, bring it into the office. It's actually been really nice getting back um, back into back into things. And we all got to remember that work 
you know, work from home going forward is not going to be the same as work from home during the pandemic. In, during the pandemic, it, there was no FOMO. There was nothing happening. Everybody was yeah. just at home. And there was almost like a, it was a mentally settling, in, uh, a mental settlement around that. Whereas now, you know, people are back, they're out. We are fundamentally social animals. We are hardwired for social interaction. And also, you know, we've, we've been getting up as humans and going off to achieve and do things. There's something quite nice about kind of leaving your home and going somewhere and doing something. However, saying that, absolutely, I, I completely think that, and I will be doing it myself, the, you know, days here and there working um, working remotely are incredibly powerful because, you know, you might have done something social the night before, you might run a little bit longer in bed, you might want to, you know, just um, not have that commute and then um, not have the disruption. So as ever, I think humans are pretty kind of smart animals and, and they will they will work it out. But I think we're predominantly going to be getting back to a predominant kind of in the office kind of culture with, with working around, working remotely to um, to facilitate that. But there's yeah, been, and we've learned a lot, which is very exciting. It seems like a lot of things in life sort of devolve, or, or sorry, a lot of things rest on basically a, a hybrid solution. You know, we've seen some models push automation, and, and often it's like the automation will get us so far, then we have to have some human connection in there. And similarly with working from home, it's like it seems that people want a balance. It seems people want to remove the guilt of working at home, like, you know, but please, may I work at home? with the general view that you might be taking a day off if you're working from home, which is not the case. I think people have proven beyond reasonable doubt that yeah, if your company yeah, is still in business over the last 18 months is because people have been contributing probably in, in some senses to their detriment. I think people without holidays having probably, I know a lot of people who pulled on more workload because they've got, there's nothing else to do other than work. So they ended up working 60 to 80 hour weeks because they'd be working on weekends as well because there was nothing else for them to do mid-lockdown. Well, that, that was shown. I think it was 25%. I think people were working an average of extra 25%, which is, is, isn't good, right? Um, you know, and, and I think as ever, it comes back to people. If you've got the right people in the business and you and you make clear about what, what you want them to achieve, that then it will be okay. Um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, I think they can go wrong where they, they do two things. They're not clear on what they want to achieve. And secondly, they have the wrong people in the business. And just to be clear, I've, I've been guilty of both both those things 100%. I'm sure I'll be guilty of it in the future. Um, but if you get those two things right, the, you know, the vision, and the strategy and what success looks like, and you've got the right people working on it, if those two things are pretty much spot on, then then the rest is just kind of noise, noise, and noise and detail. And yeah, Bright Network achieved huge things. I mean, in terms of experience, you can mentioned earlier, it was insane. We basically saw the pandemic coming. Well, when the pandemic happened, we were like, right, people aren't going to be able to do internships and work experience this summer. Right, let's do a massive virtual internship experience. And then we had 120 organisations backing it. Everybody from like Google, CBI, Goldman's, etc. And then we delivered a million hours of online learning, 100,000 plus applications. It was absolutely insane. And we were like on BBC and Sky and it was just kind of glo this global phenomenon. And that all came about because we were collaborating, working remotely and coming up with with, with, with solutions for our community. And um, yeah, I mean, it is, we've got to learn the lessons over. We have to learn the lessons of the last kind of 18 months around what the, the power of remote working, but also then recognize that that it is different now that we are getting back to face to face. Now you blend and blend those two together into something I think which actually can become quite exciting in terms of um, the, the new future of work. Do you feel the weight of responsibility as the chief executive to curate a culture that's now um, enticing enough to bring people back into the offices? And like, has, has your attitude towards that change where you think, God, I, I need to make this feel like a home away from home, or I need to make it feel like the entertainment is crucial to bringing people in and threading together that in-person connection more than maybe pre-pandemic? Yes, I mean, we've always been big, really big on culture at Bright Network. And, but, but yes, um, absolutely, the office wants, 
needs to be a really great place for people to come into. And also it's encouraging people's mindsets to think not just about what's in it for me, should I come into the office or not? And, and we actually in our new future, you know, we're not, we're not mandating um, kind of certain days that kind of people have, have to come in as a business. Um, uh, it's not, not our approach, but yeah, the office has got to be a good place to come, but also getting people to shift out of what's just good for me versus actually what's good for the community. Hmm. So for example, if you're a senior person in the business, and actually it's good for the juniors and you're contributing back but then but then we all know actually the more you contribute um to, to uh to others actually that can drives your own, own well-being so it's kind of trying to drive that kind of contribution culture um in terms of mindset that's interesting because i guess that's a big counter movement I, I think we are i see it through technology kind of constantly trying to build i guess almost like marketing boxes around us and, and it's encouraging us to sort of individuate even more by sort of labels and therefore people's self-identity seems to be kind of coming to the forefront which is why i think you get such extreme views uh, you know proliferating and actually we do need to kind of remember that community is important and, and we do need to do things for an objective that rises above and beyond our own lens of of you know satisfaction and value because we go seeking our own happiness and actually as you said sometimes happiness is seeing somebody else nurture or grow and not just lining our own pockets with with what we think we want devoid of all other interactions and people and aims well coming back to us being social animals they've actually done some research on this so they give um uh they give people they basically give people an amount of money the psychologists and say right group a you're to spend this money on yourself and group b you have to go and spend it on somebody else and then they check in with them 24 hours later and it's the group that have actually spent the money on um on other people who are, who are basically happier which is which kind of makes sense right and it kind of it almost kind of answers the whole altruism debate about you know whether people are selfish and why they, why they do nice things etc etc like fundamentally and this is again you know i'm not sure if you read humankind which i'd really recommend as a read it's absolutely brilliant but you know humans i i, I think and the, the, the um the argument the author makes there is like humans have accelerated you know, accelerate and become the dominant species because we're better at basically collaborating and being nice with each other than we're better basically collaborating with each other and uh yeah the more we collaborate and help the, the, the more the human race seems to go forward i have to say this is um, a fantastic dose of optimism for a friday morning which i'm greatly appreciating i might have only got you for another three minutes so the last question i wanted to ask is what will the future of Bright Network look like for the next three, five years, or, or where you'd like to take it as your kind of ultimate ambition? Oh, well, thanks, Ed. And it's so exciting kind of to get to where we've got to. And, um, but yes, in terms of the future, uh, we um, kind of focused on kind of three things, I think, in the next um, next next three years. So f firstly is um, just really um, cementing our place in the uk in terms of kind of being number one um, that is something that's super super important to us um, and, and our kind of our market in the uk secondly yeah we will um, kind of definitely internationalize at some point in the next three years um, which we're looking at kind of hopefully um, doing work on at the back end of this year and just working out which market we get we would go to next and thirdly it's about having built a lot of our kind of tech platform and our community and our client um, partner network it's about what more products and services we can offer out there so for example we have an incredible alumni community of our members who are kind of graduating and you know getting older and more experienced so what services can we supply for them um, our technology academy training coders and deploying them into organizations is, is growing really nicely and um, we might actually start going into schools as well and supporting um, students when they're um, before they get to university so yeah it feels like the platform's kind of a lot of the platform is now built obviously it's constantly um, improving but it's like what more can we do with the existing platform 
Brilliant. Um, I look forward to hopefully staying in touch for another 10 years. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Even so long next time. Yeah. It's, um, uh, well, it's been really good to reconnect. And just, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a nice round of the power of networks. And, and, and it's just fantastic all the work you, you, you guys are doing in terms of helping um, helping all these growth businesses. They, they are the engines of the economy, right? Like, what is it? They're something like. You know, they're uh, threatening to be. There's a well, lot of, there's a lot of noise out there. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, like twenty percent of new jobs or something. Um, what's this? There's some stats in there, like um, only, only, only kind of what's it? I can't remember something crazy. Like only, only, only something like what's it? Three percent of businesses grow at more than twenty percent a year, and they create twenty percent of all the new jobs a year. It's really the whole scale up um, thing is incredibly powerful, and you're facilitating that and helping that. So massive thank you from everybody. If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the Startup Mike, M-I-C, or get us an email, audiored at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening.